We're turning this morning to Joshua chapter 5, and I want you to open your Bible if you have it with you there, and I want you to think of these verses this morning in this fifth chapter of the book of Joshua. Now, there's a bit of a challenge here this morning with the wind, but we pray that the wind of the Spirit uh, will move uh, instead. We're Joshua chapter 5, and you open your Bible there, please, and uh, if you have them, or you can refer to the Scriptures later on. The title for my message this morning is Facing the Foe. Facing the Foe. Joshua, the commander of the Israeli forces, is about to lead approximately two million men, women and children into possess their possessions in the land of Canaan. A land flowing with milk and oil and honey. Promised years before, thousands of years before, to Abraham and subsequently reiterated many times to the prophets and to the patriarchs of old. And so uh, they have just come over, if you were with us in the past weeks, they have just come over miraculously the one mile wide dried up river Jordan. And they're on the other side, on the western side, at a place called Gilgal, close, very close proximity to the city of Jericho. Now Gilgal became the military base. It was the headquarters on the beachhead where Joshua and the 600,000 fighting men planned their strategy and the best way to invade, to root out and to dislodge and destroy the seven occupants of Canaan. The first of these occupants that took and uh, held Jericho were the Canaanites. They occupied the beautiful city of the palm trees, abundant luscious fields of harvest where the oil and the wine flourished and where the well-watered plains of Jordan were. It was harvest time and the crops were in full produ produce and in abundance. These Canaanites, by the way, and it's very important to point these out when you're studying these scriptures, they were notorious for their immorality, idolatry, and especially their demonology. These demon forces have to be rooted out, and they have to be rooted out today, and that's why Ephesians is the book that's parallel to the book of Joshua. There's demonic forces today at work that can only be rooted out with the arm, men filled with the Holy Ghost and with the armor of God on. And we'll be dealing with that next week because we're not going to get these demonic powers out by just the ordinary Christian living in what we're doing. These men and, these men and women were demonic powers and they were entrenched in the place called Jericho. 
And now it tells us what happened whenever we come to chapter 5 and verse 1. It tells us what happened and what is going to take place. And it reads this in Joshua 5 and verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites which were on the side of Jordan westward and all the kings of the Canaanites which were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel unto where they passed over. Their hearts melted. Their hearts melted. Neither was there any spirit in them because of the children of Israel. They fled behind the walls of Jericho in fear when they saw the miraculous work of God and what had happened. Then verse 2 says, At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee a sharp knife and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Now the second time of circumcision doesn't mean that the men were circumcised twice. It means the first time was whenever and before they went over the Red Sea and before they took of the Passover meal after the Exodus, they were once, they were once circumcised. That's the first time. This is the second time because the 40 years in the wilderness, they were not circumcised and there was no Passover. Now I want you to remember that. And when you're listening to this later on, I want you to study that. For that's very important. But God said to them, here in verse 2, in verse 3, God said to them, don't move a man. Don't move one man, Joshua, until every man is circumcised. Now, my friend, you hear what I'm going to say this morning. Don't move one man. Oh, but, oh, but they're fearful and they're running. This is the time to hit them. Hit them now when the going's good. No. God said, stay where you are until every man is circumcised. 600,000 fighting men and all the men, children from eight days old will be circumcised. Sharpen the knife. Sharpen the knife. That's what he said uh, to, 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 to Joshua. And nine times down these verses in chapter 5, we read the word circumcision. And we, you study those verses as you go on down them. And it tells us that God made sure that they were circumcised. And then when it comes down to the verse 10, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month. And they did eat of the old wine, of the old corn, of the parched corn. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn. Now that's the scripture reading this morning. Now the first question we need to ask is this. Why is half this chapter given over to the circumcision of the men of Israel? I say again nine times. And when God the Holy Ghost mentions something nine times in a few verses, we need to take heed and we need to listen to what God is saying. Why does God lay such an emphasis? Why does God halt the whole procession? You know it took 10 to 12, maybe 14 days before these men could fight. 
after they were circumcised. So there's a fortnight here. And then there's the breaking of bread. There is the, there is the, 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 the Passover feast, which will take another, another seven days. God says, until all those are put into place, you will not face the enemy. My friend, if you want to be taught this morning from the word of God, you study these messages and get them into your heart. The answer to the circumcision business is that it was a covenant command given by God to Abraham in Genesis 17. Listen. Listen to what it says. Listen to what God says. Every man child eight days old born or bought of money in the house of Israel must be circumcised. It's my everlasting covenant for all the people for all time to identify them as the chosen people of God. God laid great mighty emphasis on this was his word. Do you remember when Moses was coming down to deliver the people out of Egypt? Do you know that it says in the Bible that God was going to kill him? Kill him! After grooming him for 40 years, after giving him the word to go on down, after giving him the word to go into Egypt and challenge the Pharaoh, God was going to kill him because he hadn't circumcised his two sons. And he had to stop and he had to circumcise the two sons before he went any further. And you remember his wife turned on him and she said, you're a bloody man. My friend, this was a painful thing. This was a hurtful thing for a child. But it was God's word and God's command. And again you read time and time again. When Jesus was eight days old, his mother brought him to the temple to be circumcised. When Abraham was 99, God told him to be circumcised. When Ishmael was 14, God told him that he had to be circumcised. When Isaac was eight days, he had to be circumcised. God's word had to be kept. It was an outward mark of the flesh. It was an outward mark on the flesh to distinguish and identify and separate God's people from the rest of the people. Those that were redeemed with blood. Those that were bought with a price. It was the mark on those people that came out of Egypt from redemption. I say again, it was painful. It was a bloody experience. Now, my friend, let me say this, that whenever the Nazis were selecting the Jews to put them into the gas chamber, this was the way they identified the men children. They tried to camouflage themselves that they weren't Jews. And this was what the Nazis done. They examined them and they gassed them because the mark was upon them. And I have much to say, more to say about this some other day. But my friend, the scripture is precious to me this morning. Let me say now, apply it to me and you this morning. We are born again. We are bought with a price. We are born and bought with a price of the blood of the new covenant. We do not have to take the mark of circumcision. Nor should we. Nor should we. And let me say a few things this, mor this morning to you. Nor should we cut the body. Nor should we mark the body. Leviticus tells us there shall be no cuttings or markings on the body. 
No, no. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not used to market. It's not used to harm it. It's not used to defile it. It's not used to touch it. It's not your neck, son, to put a rope round. It's not your hand to cut or your arm to tattoo or or your ears or your lips to pierce and put rings in. They're not, you're not allowed to touch your body. And we would need to learn that. And even Christians would need to get that into their head. Your arms are not your own. Your back is not your own. Your face is not your own. Your, your child is not your own. You can't abort your child. Your body's not your own to born. You're created in the image of God. And we would need to learn these lessons today. And I say to thee, and you know, I know before we get saved, we get tattoos on us. Well, let me say if you're a Christian and born again by the Spirit of God, cover them up the best you can because they're marks of the old life and they're not for a believer to have. Cover them up. Cover them up because they're part of the old ways and the old life. I watched a Christian group so-called not long ago. And they showed every tattoo almost that they had with their sleeves rolled up and their shirts open and tattoos on their head and women singing with earrings in them, in their nose. My friend, it's not of God. It's not of God. How can we glory? Wait, wait to see what Paul says. If you're saved and the Holy Ghost is in you and you're bought with a price, You're bought with a price to glorify God. How can you glorify God displaying a naked woman on your arm? How can you display God by showing a swastika on your arm? I know we can do nothing about it as an old thing in the old days that happened in your sinful days, but cover them up the best you can and give glory to God. How can you glorify God with a serpent on the back of your hand? I have enough trouble with the devil without having him on my hand. You hear these words from God this morning and take heed that your body is very precious unto the Lord, your body, your soul, and your spirit. This circumcision was a physical mark of the flesh for the Jew in the old covenant. It identified them physically, but not spiritually. Those that are bought and born again, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Word of God says to you and me about circumcision says in this morning. Jeremiah says, Moses says, Paul says, circumcise your heart. Your heart. Circumcise your ears. Circumcise your lips. But especially Your heart, the spiritual knife, needs to go into the heart. And this is what's missing in our meetings, in our preaching today. There's no spiritual conviction. There's no knife. Friend, we need the sword into the heart of men and women. Whenever Samuel came to look for a king among the sons of Jesse... He didn't look for the circumcision. God looketh on, man looketh on the outward appearance. 
God looketh on the heart, on the heart. Tell me this, has the knife been ever into your heart this morning? Do you know anything about conviction and repentance and brokenness? Do you know what it is to reel under the power of the gourd of the living God? I'm afraid that many of us don't know very much about it. The nearest we come, the nearest that we come to circumcision is believer's baptism. It's identifying ourselves. Now hear me this morning. It's identifying ourselves that we're different. It's identifying ourselves to the people on the outside that we're the people of God. We go down into the waters of death and we come up declaring that the old sinful ways are gone. The old fleshly lusts have gone. And verse 9 of this chapter talks about the reproach of Egypt being rolled away. And as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we walk in newness of life. It's, it's newness of life we're declaring to all around us. We're identifying ourselves as the people of God. And we should have that mark always upon us, my friend. That that man, that woman, they walk with God. They talk like a child of God. They live like a child of God. They dress like a child of God. They are God's children. And we know it. We know it when we work with them. We know it when we live with them. We know it when we watch them. Oh, alas, I'm afraid. There's so many of us fall so short here. The circumcising mark, the commemorating meal. See, the both of these are together. The circumcising mark and the commemorating meal are both commandments that had to be adhered to before God would come to bless them. It had to be adhered to before they went over the Red Sea. It had to be adhered to before they took Jericho over the Jordan, before God would move, before God would come. Before Christ would come. And we'll see in the next verses in this chapter that Jesus came. When? He came as the commander. He came as the captain. He came to Joshua as he stood at Jericho. He came when? When they were circumcised and when they had kept the Passover feast. It was part and parcel of the victory. Now for 40 years, for 40 years, in a critical, carnal, murmuring, rebelling state in the wilderness, they kept neither. Do you hear that? They kept neither. They didn't keep the circumcision. They didn't circumcise their boys. They didn't teach their boys the things of God. They didn't teach them about the, about the Passover. It never was mentioned for those 40 years in, in the wilderness. God let them die as they wandered and the carcasses fell and the, it was an awful way for them to die. It was an awful way for them to go denying the covenants of God, denying what God taught them, denying what God says is a must, it's a command. And Jesus says it's a command. And let me tell you, he says that the breaking of bread is a command. It's a command of God. And when we come in here to break bread again, I hope and pray that you, my friend, will realize that Jesus takes this as very, very important. This Passover feast was very important. The table is very important. 
We need to obey God. He says, God says, he, he, he said, Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you do show forth the Lord's day. Every first day of the week, you're commanded to come and to break bread and to drink wine and to fellowship with God's people. That's a command. That's a covenant command of the living Lord to men and women. Do you keep it? Have you any intentions of keeping it? Because for 40 years, they never kept the Passover. And for 40 years they never circumcised one. Are you baptized in the waters of immersion this morning? Are you saved? Some of you are saved 40 years. Some of you are saved 30 years. Some of you are saved 10 years and 5 years. You've never went down into the waters of baptism. Well, you're denying the covenant of God. You're rebelling against the command of Jesus. You're saying, I have no need of it. You're saying, I don't want it. But my dear friend, you can't expect to go on into blessing. You can't go on in to take the Jericho. You can't go on in to get the victory and the goodness of what God has for thee and wants to pour out on you. You can't until you obey. Halt the whole business until we get right with God, until we obey God. These people for the whole 40 years, they went astray in the wilderness. And let their families go astray. Listen, Father, if you're not baptized in the, in the tank of immersion, don't expect your sons to be. If you don't remember the Lord, don't expect your children to remember them. You hear me this morning? Don't expect your children to remember them. If you disobey God, they'll disobey God. You do what God shows you in your word and obey him. Oh, this is hard preaching this morning. Well, there's more to come, let me tell you. God is angry this morning. And the reason that we're not seeing the blessing and the movings of the Holy Ghost is because of rebellion amongst God's people. They wandered in the wilderness. And they died in the wilderness. And they complained and they murmured in the wilderness. They never went over to the blessings because they wouldn't obey what God had for them. Do you obey him? Do you obey him? Oh, I hear someone saying this morning, well, the Presbyterians and the Methodists and the Church of Ireland and the Quakers, and you could go on for a week. Is that many? Uh, uh, many in Northern Ireland. You could go on for a week. They don't believe it. They say, we don't, we don't think you need to go to the table every week. We don't think you need to go down into the waters of baptism. It's not what they think, my friend. And it's not what they say, my friend. It's what this book says. It's what God says. Our minister says, there's no need to be baptized, the man said. We are confirmed and we're baptized as a child. And that will do, let me tell you, it will not do. It will not do. Because it's contrary to the word of God. You know what you need to do with that minister that tells you that? Buy him a Bible. Buy him a Bible. This is very important, very important for God. These things, my friend, mean so much to the living Lord, for he died on the cross of Calvary. And that table is that we remember his death and his suffering and his, his pain and his shame on Calvary. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. If you don't want to remember him, that's your business. If you don't want to obey him and go down in to declare to every man, and if you're ashamed of the gospel, that's your business. 
Let me tell you that they had the Passover feast just on the very outskirts of Jericho while the enemy were watching them. They were not ashamed of the things of God. There's so many people of God and they're so ashamed of the things of God. Oh, I pray that you will not be. It doesn't matter what your church says. Now listen to what I'm going to say. It doesn't matter what the Heinz church says either. Oh, oh, is this a new church now, the Heinz church? Ah, yes, there's 57 varieties of them in Northern Ireland. Maybe in Tyrone. And they're saying to people all in churches such as these, they're saying, oh, come, as Moses said to Hobab, come with us and we will do you good. Leave and abandon that old tradition. Leave and abandon that old dead, orthodox, legalistic church. Leave and abandon where they have the King James and they say for you to put on a skirt and put on a hat. Leave at this time you were free. That's what they're saying all over the country. And there's so many gullible people following after it, my dear friend. But I can tell you this, there's no knife. There's no knife. And it doesn't matter whether you're living in sin, whether you have one wife or two wives. It doesn't matter, my friend, if you're still in drugs and you're still in drink. If you pray, we pray and ask Jesus into your heart, all will be well and Jesus loves you. Come along with us and we'll fill you with the Holy Spirit and everything will be well and you'll clap and you'll sing and you'll hug and go to hell. If there's no knife, there's no knife, my friend. God said to Joshua, get the knife and sharpen the knife. And I intend to sharpen the knife. I intend to sharpen the two-edged sword. And I intend to put one edge into my own heart and one edge into your heart. We're living in terrible days. We're living in days of deception and delusion. When anything that strums a guitar or sings a chorus is saved, my dear friend, my dear friend, I am saying to you from the heart of God this morning that God is angry. There's no knife. There's no conviction. There's no repentance. There's no blood. There's no cross. There's no contrition. There's no weeping. There's no fasting. There's no praying. It's just a melody of singing and clapping and cheering. And no God. We need to raise a voice. We need to raise a voice against this false gospel that has perpetrated our land. It's another gospel. And Paul says, woe is me if I preach another gospel. And woe is the man and let him be accursed. Let me tell you, my friend, what's going on in many of our places. Oh, you're very critical this morning. You stay what you like about me. I have to answer to God. I get my words from God, not from you. It's a complete and utter misrepresentation and travesty of truth. It's confusion and delusion. And where there's no repentance, and where there's no contrition, and where there's no brokenness, and where there's no blood, and where there's no Gethsemane, and no Gabbatha, and no Golgotha, and no cross, there's no gospel. The two-edged sword hasn't touched the heart. No knife, no crucifying of the flesh, 
The old Adam is still alive. And he's strutting up and down the pulpits. He's strutting up and down to the queue. He has never been crucified. We can sing all we like, my friend, the old rugged cross. And I'm amazed when people sing it. And there's a verse in it that says, the old rugged cross, its shame and reproach gladly bear. My friend, what shame and reproach do we suffer for Jesus in these days? When as I speak this morning, they're being beheaded, they're being, they're being hung, they're being poisoned for the sake of the gospel in North Korea, hundreds of them today. And there's a reproach uh, and a shame we gladly bear. Oh, God, help us for singing lies. Let the knife go into our heart this morning. Let the knife go in. Sharpen the knife, Joshua. Get it good and sharp because you're not moving. You're not going on. Man, everybody wants to get back into the church. They want to get it back in round the table and they want to get back in to do the very same thing. You can't go back without the knife. And whenever ever Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, let me tell you, the two-edged sword, the knife went in. The knife went in. He preached Christ crucified, Christ risen again. He preached the power of the gospel and thousands were saved. And men and women began to cry out, what shall we do? Not, what, not where shall we go? Not what we shall wear. Not what we shall sing. Not what we shall say. But what shall we do? Whenever the knife went in, my friend, they cried out. Whenever the two-edged sword went in, they cried out. What shall we do? And Paul, Peter says, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And once they started to obey the Lord, revival broke out and thousands were saved. It's the same here. Once they obeyed the Lord, the Lord appeared and Jericho was taken. They didn't have to fire a shot. They marched around it and the whole thing fell. Once they obeyed God, once you obey God, you'll begin to see things moving in your family. You'll begin to see that son maybe getting saved. Once you get a hunger for God, once you get an interest in God. By the way, we have three prayer meetings here now. And we're quite within the law to have them. And if you want to come one of the nights, see Roy or myself. We have three prayer meetings. They're in the pubs. They're in the golf clubs. Why were we not in the prayer meetings? That's up to you. You want to come, come. If you want to make excuses, come. We're perfectly within the law. Social distancing, sanitizing, everything. And what mighty times of blessing we're having on these nights. You join with us. And start to pray for your family. Start to pray for your loved ones. And start to pray for the law. And let the flesh, the knife go in. And as Paul says, mortify the flesh. Oh, the old flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, idolatry. Jesus says, if you come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's the cross, my friend. It's the sword. It's the knife. 
It's cutting out the old flesh. It's cutting out the old ways. Cutting out the old lust. Cutting them out. I'll tell you, my friend, God sees the heart. He sees the heart. Let me finish with a wee word on the manna. Did we, we, re, we read that verse about the manna. And the manna ceased. The manna ceased. And God told them to feast on the old manna. You know the manna feast when they couldn't. The manna was given to them when they couldn't supply for themselves. The manna and the whales. The quails and the water in the wilderness and the desert when they couldn't supply for themselves. God so good. When there was no way of them having anything, God supplied them and he dropped them on every day outside the tent. And he brought the quails in from the sea and the water from the rock. And for 40 years, even in the rebellion, God blessed them and God fed them and God looked after them. The manna. But now, he says, the man is ceasing. Now the man is ceasing. You're going to have to go over and you're going to have to dig the wells and you're going to have to plough the ground and you're going to have to sow and you're going to have to reap and you're going to have to fight and you're going to have to stand and you're going to have to claim the victory. I'll be with you. I'll go before you. You'll not need the manna now. You'll not need the quails now. There's a land flowing with milk and honey. But why does he say the old, the old wine? Well, I say to you, the old is still the best. The old uh, honey is still the sweetest. The old word is still the truest. <laughs> I tell you, he says the old wine. This was last year's harvest. Now hear me as I close. This was last year's harvest. The old corn. The Philistines and the enemies had gathered it in and they had filled the granaries and they'd filled the storehouses and it was luscious and it was left over because even God blessed them. But he was blessing them for a purpose. They filled, they labored and they sweated and they, and they gathered it all in. Now they're hiding behind the walls of Jericho and someone else is going to take it from them. Little did they know when they were harvesting, when they were laughing and joking and cursing and worshipping their idols and drinking their wine and saying all that they had, little did they know that they'd never ever see it spent. Little did they know that they'd ever see it spent. My friend, let me tell you something. You be very careful with what you store up. That man last night, that dear soul last night, didn't know what it was going to come to. And these Canaanites didn't know when they were laying up all the stuff that their enemy was going to take it and use it. You Christians, you hear me, and I'm not looking anything from you this morning. But you remember what you store up. And you have robbed God over the years. 
The enemy will not belong. Your enemy, and it can be within your own household, will not belong scattering it. You'll stand at the judgment seat and say, I wish I had given it to God. I wish I'd given my life over to God. No, the old corn, my friend, God had it there to supply the need of these people. He had it there to bless them when they needed it. And there's another harvest on the way. And if we obey God, God, God is good to us. He's good to us. And if you obey him this morning and obey him and let the knife go into your heart and let that knife convict you of your tithing, of your praying, of your lusting, of your sin, of your jealousies, of your temper, whatever it might be, I say, I say to you this morning, that one edge has to go into my heart and the other edge into your heart. It's a two-edged sword. And once the knife goes in, and once the pain, there's no pain, my friend. This was painful before it was joyful. And then God, the Lord, and we'll see that next week, Jesus came in a theophany and he stood before Joshua and they hadn't to fire a shot or do a thing. All they had to do was march around. God says, I will deliver. And he will deliver us if we obey him. We obey him. Let me close with this verse of a hymn. And I want you to think about it. Marching to Zion. Here's what the third verse says. The hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets. My friend, whenever we go into the blessing, whenever we go in in obedience to God, Whenever we can look at God and say, Lord, there's nothing betwixt me and thee. Whenever we can get like that. Whenever we move into what God has for us to possess. The hill of Zion will yield a thousand sacred sweets. Now listen what the hymn writer says. And those of you who think that this is heaven, here's what he says. Before we reach the heavenly fields or walk the golden streets. Before... Before, here, down here, now, the hill of Zion yields. Hallelujah. The hill of Zion yields a thousand fruits, sweet, sacred sweets and fruits. Oh, my friend, taste of the Lord, and he is good this morning. Enter in and get the blessing this morning. Get the joy this morning. Get the peace this morning. Get the barrier removed between you and God this morning. See the blessing. See the victory. The hill of Zion yield a thousand. There's a thousand blessings out there for you and I this morning down here. Before we reach the heavenly fields or walk the golden streets, Hallelujah. We can have it here and now. Heaven, heaven here and now. May God help us this morning to let the knife go in and let the knife be twisted and let the knife turn and let the blood come out and let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Let us go on. Christian life is one of pain, painfulness and joyfulness. There's pain, there's pain, my friend, but there's joy. There's victory, 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 victory in Jesus. Victory. Hear that wherever you are. There's victory above sin. We can live above it. Live above it this morning. Get above it this morning. Praise the Lord this morning. Thank the Lord this morning. Don't let the devil annoy you about the past. 
The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have a fellowship with another. Hallelujah! Hallelujah to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Oh God, pray. Lord, put the knife into my heart. Put the knife into that part. Put the knife into where the lust is. Put the knife in where the pornography is. Put the knife in where the greed is. Put the knife in where the temper is. Put it in, Lord, that I might serve thee and live and go through with God. May God bless this word that I have unburdened my heart with this morning. And we thank the Lord for keeping it dry for us to do it. And may God bless us today. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. Oh, God, for giving us this word in the quiet place. And we thank you for people who have prayed and we have delivered it, Lord. And oh, God, we cry to thee this morning, Lord, that you will not be wandering around in the wilderness. We will not be complaining. Circumcise our lips. Circumcise our critical lips this morning. Circumcise, O oh God, our ears this morning that we may hear. And circumcise our heart this morning. Cut away, cut away. That, O oh God, which grieves and hinders and vex is the Holy Ghost. May we fall on our face. May we cry unto God. And Jesus will come. And next week, Lord, we will see that he came. In style he came and met with them there after they had obeyed. The Lord, oh God, hear our cry. Move in hearts to pray. Move in men and women to come. And hear our cry, Lord, and answer our prayer. We give you thanks in Jesus' name for all you are and all that you've done and all that you have for us, Lord. We praise you this morning. For Christ's sake, we ask these things. Amen.